Welcome to the Parent Guide to GCC podcast, episode number 14. Welcome to the Parent Guide to GCC podcast, and with us today is a communications and education consultant and dyslexia advocate, Liz Lolly. Welcome. Hi. Uh, right, so would you like to uh, just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and kind of what you do on a day-to-day basis, how you help people out, that kind of thing? Of course. Uh, it's quite tricky to explain, but I shall try my best. If I go back a little bit, um, I qualified as a primary school teacher in 1999. And in my first teaching job, I um, taught a dyslexic child who was adorable. I was amazed by how strong and confident he was. And when I first met his parents at parents' evening, I explained this to them. Um, and they looked at me and both paused and then said he comes home and cries every night because he thinks he's stupid. So at that point, I knew I had to do something more about dyslexia and find out more um, and help people with dyslexia because I could just see how intelligent this boy was, but he didn't think he was because he learned differently to everyone else. Um, fast forward eight years um, and I have my own son who's dyslexic. <laughs> so um, obviously the passion grew even more. So a lot of my work is involved in dyslexia. Um, as well as initially training as a teacher, I then went into communications and PR work during the London 2012 Olympic bid. So that's been fantastic the last couple of years when I've become self-employed because I've now can mix my communications and education and a lot of both of those I'm still mixing for dyslexia related um, work, some things that are separate. Um, so as well as that, I carry out dyslexia screeners, um, either individually um, at home or I go into schools and do it. When I initially started it, I only was going to do it for primary age children because um, that was my specialism. But very quickly, there were so many parents thinking, my child's taking GCSE soon, there's something here and the school hasn't picked up on it. I need to find out more. So that's been amazing. And actually the response of schools following my screeners and my reports has been really, really positive and working with parents to support the children. So that's another area of my work. And then for this year, I'm actually working as a secondary school teacher part-time doing PE. So <laughs> I do all sorts of things all over the place and, and that's how I love it. <laughs> Fabulous. We know that feeling. <laughs> So can I just ask, with uh, students getting towards their GCSEs, do you find that some students uh, are dyslexic to an extent or, or another and they've not been diagnosed or it's not been picked up? Absolutely. Um, some schools are uh, more on the ball than others at picking it up early. Um, I've discovered over the last few years, generally secondary schools are better than primary schools. And I think a lot of that is down to the fact that for the GCSE exams, you can have access arrangements if you've got slow processing or for various different reasons related to dyslexia. So secondary schools are more interested in it because they feel that there's a benefit, a direct benefit for them to find out. Now, for me, there's a direct benefit for every child for their self-esteem and for them to reach their potential in finding out as soon as possible. Um, some schools, I have to say, and I'm very lucky to work at one that do everything as early as possible, but 
still there are some children who slip through the net and it's very late that they discover hang on a second this is what's going on um, and within the world of dyslexia it's a known fact that there are a lot of medical students who have got all the way through to studying to be doctors at university and then suddenly the work changes slightly and they're struggling and they find out it's because they're dyslexic so it can be hidden and only come out at certain times so if as a parent someone was listening to this thinking well i know my child is struggling and i kind of i see that and i have i have these little niggly doubts and i'm thinking maybe it is that there is an issue that perhaps they are dyslexic what are the sort of the signs perhaps what are the hints that parents could look out for that maybe there is a way they could support their child better by yeah. finding this out officially i suppose yeah and first of all to say i'm i'm a believer in it it's not too much about the label and saying for definite someone is dyslexic or isn't it's identifying what their difficulties are and if they match that of dyslexia then you get follow the best advice for that um the key key thing i think for me generally that is the telltale sign that could be dyslexia is when sort of general intelligence and what's coming down on paper don't match up um particularly from a young age because obviously everything to start with is to do with reading and writing they, for every subject, they need to be able to read and write. So if they can't read and write well, it's assumed they're not very intelligent. Now, when you actually listen to dyslexic children talking, and often their vocabulary is very advanced, their, their concepts, their way of seeing things are amazing. Um, so in some ways, I think it's easier to see it younger. But the same kind of pattern occurs as they go up into secondary school and the parents at home if if you know that they can hold these really quite intellectual conversations um their vocabulary is strong but what's happening at school isn't reflecting that or they're getting very frustrated often it can come out in behavior problems um just look deeper um and, and challenge their teachers about it some some schools will be very quick to say oh yes maybe they're dyslexic others don't want to go there for whatever reason um just in the right positive way ask the teacher so, so do you think they could be what why do you not think they're dyslexic what else could i be doing whether they are dyslexic or not they have this difficulty with getting their words out or writing down what they're thinking how can we address that yeah, I'm just out of interest with with your own son. Obviously, you saw him from day one. How um, how did it manifest? How did you realise through that those early years that this could be an issue? Yeah, someone asked me just the other day. Actually, when did I know he was dyslexic? And it's difficult to say now because there wasn't a specific point. Um, the point what I remember is the point at which I thought. I need school and his teachers to realize he's dyslexic. Um, and that was year one, year two, because he was losing his confidence and he would write out pieces of work. It, it was the time when big rights were a really popular thing in primary schools. So they'd all sit down and the teacher would set the scene beautifully. He had a great teacher and he would get them all ready for it. 
Um, my son would write out whatever it was he was writing about on the topic and then he'd rub it all out um, and say to the teacher, well, you wouldn't be able to read it anyway, so what was the point? Um, so for me, that's when I started thinking, hang on, something needs to be done here. I, there were just so many little signs very early on. And for him, it was very much about that mismatch. He always seemed a bright boy, but when it came to reading and writing, there was a big disparity. And then as he went into year two, his maths was always very, very strong. He couldn't stay in the top group because he couldn't independently read the questions. So he was brought down a group. And I totally understand from a teacher perspective why that might have happened, it's not ideal. Um, but for his confidence, that was really not good. So it was those things that made me react. The actual sort of working out he was dyslexic, um, just lots of little things. Plus for us, it's very much in the family. My husband is has never been officially diagnosed but he's dyslexic um his brother has been officially diagnosed his nephews and then it's on my side of the family as well with my brother and my mum again not officially diagnosed but very much evident right so i mean for for parents who are are listening to this and, and are thinking gosh that's you're describing my child right now what can they do to to um I don't know, to help support their child. I suppose initially it's about how do they get across to their child that it's not that you're stupid, it's that you think that little bit differently and how getting past that confidence barrier, I suppose. Yeah. I think you completely hit the nail on the head then. It's about thinking differently and seeing that as a positive. Actually, if we all thought the same, we wouldn't get anywhere and there wouldn't be any new inventions thinking differently is amazing um, and this last year working in a secondary school I, I have a terrible habit for as soon as I realize or think that a child might be dyslexic I say oh you're dyslexic as if like I'm saying oh were you on that tv program the other day and they're like yeah miss why am I it's amazing I think you're brilliant and they're like oh oh great okay but genuinely I do believe it is amazing once you've got through certain barriers um, where we're not very flexible, generally the education system. Um, it's amazing to be dyslexic and have that brain. The amount of times over the years where we've been having conversations as a family and my son has come out with something completely different that has just blown our minds is incredible. Um, and I would say a fantastic short animation for people to watch, which I have to say was aimed at primary children, but when it was released, it became popular with all ages. I have, we had adults contacting us and um, saying how emotional they were, how it summed it up, was the British Dyslexia Association uh, launched an animation a couple of years ago called See Dyslexia Differently. And it is just so positive. Within it, you see cartoon characters um, of people like Richard Branson, Jamie Oliver. So you've got your role models, which again, I think that's a really good way for young people to see. Um, and generally, a lot of the people who are well known who are dyslexic have made a go of it for themselves because they are naturally thinking different. They've got that entrepreneurial flair. Um, 
a lot of actors, actresses, so they might not be great at sitting writing, but they can express themselves and they can take things in a different way. Having said that, there are authors who are dyslexic, so there are no limits, and I think that's the key thing to get across to children who may be dyslexic. I saw on one of your blogs the uh, the phrase uh, delightfully dyslexic, and I love that. Yes, um, it was something I heard at a conference um, a few years ago, and actually I feel terrible because I can't remember the lady who actually said it, and she was really inspirational. She herself is dyslexic. She um, has got a very successful business. She ended up, I'm pretty sure she got a first from Oxford. And when she texted her dad to say, see dad, I am a genius. She, her spelling was still quite dodgy and she put, see dad, I am a Guinness. <laughs> <laughs> and that, I just love the way she spoke about things. And I actually um, heard her talk the same day as I found out that my son hadn't, we live in a grammar school area and initially he'd got the sort of yeses that yes, he should, he's sort of passed his 11 plus. Um, and then on the day that we found out for some reason, no, he didn't get allocated a grammar school place. I heard her talk and it was so powerful. And since then, yes, I, I often met my son as delightfully dyslexic it just then gets tricky with my daughter as to what what adjective to use to describe her and I think she was a little bit offended recently when I referred to her as unique I thought it was a steering term apparently not well, I like unique ours is definitely unique I'm definitely we're both definitely unique I like it absolutely much better than normal I would always hate to be described as normal yeah that just sounds kind of boring to me yeah. frankly <laughs> um okay so let's um let's perhaps focus for a minute on parents who who know that their child is is dyslexic what can they be doing to support them i mean i'm particularly thinking teenagers who are preparing for exams i mean obviously not not year 11 right now because we've just found out year 11 and not doing their exams but um so if you're listening to this in the future this was the weird bit where everything went a little bit mental. Um, but year 10 and year nine, who are especially while they're learning from home for the next few months, what can parents do to, to support them in being able to do those academic things that they have to get through and, and, and do it in a way that, I don't know, makes them feel confident about then facing exams and things in the future? Yeah. There are, there are lots of general ways, and I'll, I'll come on to some of those. I think a key thing is to remember, as with everyone, we are all different and different things will work for us. Every dyslexic person has different strengths. There are some familiar traits, um, but everyone has their own, own way of, of excelling and the best way to learn. So I would say the key thing is try, and this is what I try to do in my dyslexia screeners, is find out where their strengths lie. Do they prefer to learn things through drawings? Um, it will be unusual, but you may get a few dyslexics who prefer it through words. Generally, it will be very much more likely to be pictorial than word-based. Um, how do they see things? I know, again, we had a conversation at home the other day um, where my son was talking about a property we'd been to see and he could visualise it from above. 
I could not do that at all. I could just see it as I walked through it and even then bits fade out of my mind. I'm not very good at seeing things um, pictorially. I'm very much more words. But if they can see things from above, that can be really useful. And your mind mapping can reflect that. And even to the extent that you might want them either in their heads or actually physically to have different rooms where they remember different topics so they can actually go into the kitchen to learn about the Tudor times in history. They could go into, it can be as bizarre as them going into the bathroom and sitting in there to learn a different topic and actually then when they're trying to recall the information they will look into the house from above be able to see the different rooms and think, you know, I was sat there and I was talking about the Tudor times. Oh yes, that was it. And it will come back to them, make it as visual as, as possible. Um, there are obviously a lot of tools out there you can use. You can do your own things. Um, another thing, um, which actually I've learned more about this year from the school I'm working at is dual coding, which can be really useful for everyone but particularly so for dyslexic. So you're matching up the word and the picture. Um, and by putting the two together a lot of the time, it's adding to the understanding and it helps it to stick more. So I think in the past, I might have said more, okay, just make it all pictorial. Don't worry about words for a dyslexic person who doesn't like words. Now I've adjusted slightly and thought, actually, no, you need a bit of both to add to that understanding. Um, so that can be really useful. Um, be, be creative. Ge again, another generalization, dyslexics can be quite creative. Um, let them be creative as to how they learn. Something my daughter, who we don't think is dyslexic, but what she's done over the last couple of days working at home, and she assures me it rubs off, I'm not 100% sure yet, She's been writing on her windows in her bedroom by her desk um, with a whiteboard pen. So she's been doing some of her learning and some of her timetables on there. It's great because it looks exciting. It seems fun. It's exactly the same as writing it on a piece of paper, but it's more interesting. So let them be creative. I maybe should have checked it rubbed out before I shared that with them. <laughs> markers, yes. Other markers, no. <laughs> Yes, maybe that's what it is. Yeah, we'll keep the sharpies away from her. Yeah. <laughs> you go in with the whiteboard pens. Um, but find creative ways that work for them. Um, and another key thing would be to make sure it's small chunks of time. Don't expect them to sit and work for hours and hours and hours. Um, they will despair. You will despair. Everyone will get grumpy. And yes, I've had experience of that this week. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, been a great learning curve for me already this whole school closure thing because I, I I'm there talking about yes this is the best thing you can do for dyslexics and this is how you can be this amazing parent and then suddenly I'm being put to the test um, it is challenging for everyone accept that and building build in time to have fun and I have to say my children have proved to be much better at that than me this week. I've been so focused on, I must make sure they do the right thing. And again, it's something that I go on and on and on about professionally 
fun is the most important thing. Have fun. Make sure their learning is fun. And I turned into a naggy mum saying, why haven't you done this? You're not on, on track with your timetable. My children were in the garden yesterday having a water fight off their own backs. And I went and told them off for making too much noise. And then I thought, no, what have I done? They <laughs> are following all the advice I've given over the years of have fun you know enjoy life break up break up your learning and suddenly I had to kind of switch my mindset so yeah fun is so important be creative small chunks understand how their brain works best and it will be different for different dyslexics and it's just understanding where their key strengths lie um one other thing worth mentioning on that actually which again for my son where he's always been very number orientated maths he's always loved um for example one one year for mother's day um my husband took the children to next they bought me some perfume a week later my son had no idea what they bought me he knew how much it cost because he can remember numbers so much better than words so link thing if if they have a strength for numbers, some dyslexics will hate numbers, some will love them. If they have a strength for numbers, link things to numbers wherever you can. Facts, make it to do with the numbers. Um, and that will be so, so beneficial um, for them. And sorry, that's led me on to another one. I'm on a whole spiel now. <laughs> um, emotions are fantastic for learning. So going back to the history example if you can talk about how people felt during a certain time in history in fact we are making history at the moment aren't we in this current time um, and by remembering how people felt or thinking about how do you think that person felt when they went off to the war generally speaking dyslexics will remember a lot of information around it by remembering by thinking about the emotions and um, so that can be really really powerful that's a very good shout. And um, in terms of practical stuff, things like, um, so I was doing some work with Timestable Rockstars and we were doing accessibility things and we switched in uh, the Lexi font. So you could add a font that was weighted more at the bottom. Uh, my daughter described it to me earlier because we were telling her we were going to interview you and what we were interviewing you about. And she said, oh, so it's like they, they weight the bottom of the letters. So it's like a magnet holding it down onto the page. I thought, wow, she's got this. She's, she's got it first. Is that, you're nodding. So good. I've got it about right. Things yeah. like that, uh, practical, so uh, programs and things, because I've seen you advocate for a different TTRS, not Times Table Rockstars, but um, touch type read and spell. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I'm often quite apologetic because I'm not naturally comfortable with being a sales type person. And I ended up, I end up selling TTRS all the time just because I am so impressed with it. Um, again, I first came to know about it through my son. Uh, my husband learned to touch type at school through one of his I think it was a business study GCSE or something, and it's been invaluable to him. So a few years ago, when we were looking at things that could help our son, um, I'd seen about touch type reading, so I thought, oh, I'd give it a go. Um, and actually, stupidly, I signed up monthly thinking, oh, I don't know how good it will be. And 
we got him to do it very slowly. So three years later, I realized, and by this time I was promoting it to other people. And I thought I'm encouraging other people to take advantages of the discounts for annual and I'm still paying monthly and paying extra. <laughs> um, but it was so, so beneficial. Um, and actually I was thinking about this earlier in that, um, in the past, I may have thought it was almost a bit late for people preparing for GCSEs to start touch, type, read and spell. Um, but because the key benefit to me was it improves reading and spelling and it gives the ability to, to touch type. So if when they're in sort of years seven to nine, you think they might end up using the computer for exams, fantastic, get them learning to touch type. And obviously reading and spelling is going to be brilliant. But actually, one of the uh, newer features of Touch Type Read and Spell is a free writing um, module, and you can create your own module in subjects. So it is now a fantastic way to revise as well, because you can set your own keywords. Um, so rewinding a bit, for me, the big benefit of Touch Type Read and Spell for my son was that he didn't feel like he was doing more reading and writing, which is what everyone was trying to get him to do to improve. And he really didn't like doing, he didn't want to do anymore. He felt like he was learning to type, learning to use a computer. What kid doesn't want to be doing that? So it's, there's very much almost a sort of subconscious thing going on that is so powerful. And I've heard very similar across many schools as well. Um, it's a real relief for the child to be like, Oh, here I go. It's my intervention time. I'm going to be doing more reading, more writing. Oh, I'm not. I'm on a computer. Wow, this is amazing. And actually, I um, spoke to a school in the last few months to carry out a case study. And this was a secondary age child who the child themselves said, oh, my spelling's improved. Whereas so they were quite a long way. And they were absolutely gobsmacked. And it was suddenly that realisation of like, oh, you have been helping me with my reading and spelling. Um, but it's, it's so powerful. So as I say, yeah, absolutely, I would recommend it. Um, get it, use it earlier if you can, but it's still very beneficial for people preparing for GCSEs because it's a way that they can go over key vocabulary. Um, another fairly new feature is subjects, um, which very soon is going to go up to GCSE level at the moment it's up to key stage three for the UK curriculum um, so it's brilliant just to reinforce those words that may be a bit tricky and by them keep typing them they get stuck in their minds and when they see them at school it makes more sense yeah so yeah I can't I as much as I try to say I'm not a salesperson I don't like selling I seriously just rate touch like reading spells so highly because it's been so beneficial um, and for me the added part of it actually was when I then went on to work for the British Dyslexia Association, uh, my son was still using it. I met the directors for Touch Type Read and Spell. It's a family business. And they are just the most charitable, lovely people ever. But that consolidated it, I think, for me. Hence why now I do a lot of work for them. Um, so, yeah, it, it really is. And there's lots of things out there. And especially at the moment with the school closures, um, schools can get free subscriptions parents can get discounts and there's sponsorship available. So if a parent feels that they can't, they can't afford it, please, please, please just fill in the sponsorship form and the chances are TTRS will, will subsidize, um, subsidize it for you because they don't want anyone to miss out. Fabulous. Fabulous. Yeah. Can I just ask, I mean, 
reading at school for every child is really important. Is it more so important for dyslexic children to push their skills along? Um, yes and no. They need that skill, absolutely. But actually, if they're not ready, so thinking of the earlier years, if they're not ready, then no is the worst possible thing to keep pushing reading um, because they just feel like a failure every day. Um, they need to be exposed to words, but they need to be, they need to be achieving. Um, and that goes right the way through and up to the revising for GCSEs. Make sure your child is achieving every day. Um, so don't get them to sit through papers and papers that they're not achieving on. Yes, get them to do past papers, they need to do that but make sure every day they're doing something that is achievable and that they are excelling at. So with the reading, it's a very difficult balance. And then once they get onto secondary level, generally children have mastered reading to a certain level. Um, actually find other ways, alternatives to reading. Um, there are lots of Microsoft tools in particular are fantastic for having just features as part of the pack now where it will read it out loud to you. Some love that, some don't. I tried to get my son to do it the other day because he was faced by a lot of writing and looked a bit daunted. So I said, I'll show you this great technique. And I copied all the work and pasted it into a Word document and he listened to it all. I said, right, now you know what to do. You could use that again. Yeah, thanks, but I don't think I'll do it again. <laughs> Whereas I've seen other children have said, that's brilliant. Yes, that really helps me. It's down to them and how they feel, but definitely don't push reading. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess, I mean, in terms of the, the reading skill itself, it's, it's when they're ready. If you want to help them build their vocabulary and things in general, then I guess that's going to be more of an audio format. I mean, Audible are making lots of books available at the moment for, for free for children, which is amazing. Um, so something along those lines, if you can get them, I suppose, interested in, in stories and, and listening to things to develop the vocabulary instead of pushing, no, we need to be reading now. Is that a good approach? Is that something that would be useful? A hundred percent. And that's something I regularly recommend and we use a lot with my son because especially as often these dyslexic children are quite intelligent children. You don't want them to be missing out on the vocabulary and the sort of techniques for writing that they get from reading, but they can get that from listening to the story. So um, absolutely, the David Williams books and things like that are amazing for children to grasp different concepts of story writing that they were later on using, that they later on use, um, without them having to slog through a book. Yes, they do need to do some reading, but find something that interests them. So actually for our son, he learned to read better through match attacks football cards than he did through any book because that interested him and he could read these complicated footballers names um absolutely fine reading his sort of basic book from school we struggled so it's what interests them and find other ways and yet absolutely listening to stories is so important and just creating stories verbally um, do it as a as a game, as a family game. You can come up with stories at this time where we're all trying to find things to keep us um, occupied. You can come up with a really, and depending on the age of your children, make it funny, make it different topics. Um, but you can you can 
read and write without physically reading and writing if that makes sense yeah definitely I think that's uh, that's fab advice because I know lots of us are, are busy scrambling for what on earth do we get our children to be doing that's that's productive at this time I don't know why we seem so fixated on being productive because you know they're kids and, uh, and nobody else has been productive at yeah moment. nobody else has been but we're terrible normally <laughs> we work from home and we're normally brilliant like we're normally on the ball we get lots done but because we're everything's just that little bit different we're um we're finding that we're getting very easily distracted and um and spending a lot more time just hanging out as a family you know which is totally fine but um but yes i'm, I'm very aware that there's a very long to-do list waiting for me and it's uh it's getting longer by the day so yeah, that's, the, that's the key thing is to have that breakout time and i think that goes for revision as well and um, don't ever feel like you're wasting time if you're just playing a game or just having a chat with your child about something nothing to do with revision actually that'll be so beneficial um and yeah absolutely at the moment when we're all trying to adjust to a different way of life yeah, yeah. nothing is wasted time if, if you're you together and um it's it's re-energizing so absolutely yeah and and you can do more in a short focused burst of work anyway than i think i gave the analogy yesterday that it's like cleaning your house it can expand to take up your entire day trying to get the house clean but if the mother-in-law phones and says she's just going to pop over you will get that done in like 20 minutes the exact same amount of work so it's it's about the quality rather than the quantity of what you're doing so there's loads of time yeah and i think that's another thing that's great to take back actually to revising and particularly with well probably any teenager or most teenagers particularly dyslexics that there can be a lot of procrastination as there can be for us as adults but then they can spend a whole day thinking all oh, I've done today is worked it's like actually no you work for half an hour but you found ways to try and not do it all the rest of the time whereas actually if you can try and get them into that mindset from an early age that come on let's sit down let's focus let's do it then let's do something else and actually get good quality work as you say rather than quantity it's such a good skill to learn yeah, definitely. Can I just ask a question about behaviour uh, and dyslexia? Because a lot of teachers will often um, suggest that the child is just naughty and um, don't want to learn, disrupting the class. Uh, and quite often it comes back to the fact that actually further down the line they're diagnosed as being dyslexic. Is that something that you see regularly where they don't engage because they're not understanding all of the content? Yeah, um, absolutely. And it... It absolutely breaks my heart. And um, I have to say, I kind of, every time I have a child in a class who isn't behaving quite as I would expect, I'm there wrapping my brain thinking, okay, what's the reason, what's wrong? And occasionally it is just <laughs> bad behaviour. And I almost can't see that because I'm so much like, there must be a reason, there's something going on here, what is it? Um, but yeah, and I think if there are various tools that I've used to demonstrate how frustrating it is for a dyslexic in the past when I've done staff training. Um, and if you think how frustrating it is, I'm trying to think of one good example of um, a, a task that I've done to try and demonstrate it. So you have a, um, up on the board, you have this really high tech um, 
technical language piece of writing and you ask people to copy it out at the same time you keep asking them questions and you keep talking to them and it gets so but you can even do it you make them write with their left hand as well or their opposite hand to what they usually use and i've seen a group of people do this and get really cross and really frustrated and start acting up and show bad behavior and that was the group of teachers and tas imagine how that dyslexic child feels you're telling them to maybe get on with this writing at the same time you're asking them questions at the same time you're saying why aren't you doing this oh have you remembered to do your homework they can't do it it's overpowering and the natural reaction is to go into panic mode now for some people that to go silent to do nothing and um, for other people that is to show bad behavior and that's completely natural so yeah absolutely it can be and at, and at home as well and some children will behave very well at school, even, they're, even if they're really frustrated because they, they've been conditioned to know that when I'm at school, I've got to behave myself. But they come home and that frustration has got to come out somewhere. So don't, as soon as they walk in the door, say, right, OK, what work are you doing? Get on with it now. Let them go and do something that they excel at. Let them go and play football or whatever it is that makes them feel good and they know that they're good at. Um, absolutely and yeah just please parents and teachers don't make excuses for your children absolutely not but do understand how frustrating it can be if you're dyslexic in a world where still a lot of things are set up for a standard brain yeah yeah it must be incredibly difficult just particularly with school because school is very tailored towards more and more so every single year more and more academic it's not about being creative it's just about can you do these particular subjects and and i think that's one of the things where actually there's a silver lining to the whole learning from home for a few months because it means kids can find the thing that they excel at try all the different stuff we've been getting our daughter to to learn touch typing funnily enough and she's loving it and she's racing ahead. It's going to really set her up for later on when she's doing essay-based subjects and coursework and things like that. She's also been learning a bit of cartooning. And they're not the kind of skills she would be learning at school or be able to spend this much time on at school. But she's finding all these things that she's really, really enjoying. And it's really lovely to watch. And, and so we're not putting lots of pressure on about the, the maths and the English and things, although she loves to read and, and will read all day if we let her. But it's it's just a, a really nice opportunity i think to to get outside of the usual school bubble almost so um yeah so and the whole the fact that there aren't exams now this year for year 11 and year 13 i think it could actually have the most amazing effect on the education system as a whole they may see that it's not all about just working for an exam um, and what you remember on that day and, and they may see the way they, so many teachers and parents are being so creative at the moment with the things they're doing. Um, we, we had the school I work at were closed for a week a few weeks ago because we had a confirmed coronavirus case. So we were closed for a week before other schools then reopened. During that week, we had one physics teacher writing on his kitchen cupboard doors to, and, and filming himself to show a lesson to his students. The creativity there was amazing. Um, and actually, over the years, in some ways, as teachers and educators, we, we've kind of had creativity taken away from us a little bit because it's, no, you will stick to the curriculum, you will teach children in this way. 
no, let's be creative again. Children want to learn creatively. And I really, really hope this is something positive that comes out of this horrendous global situation at the moment that we can be a bit more flexible and, and children can learn in, in the ways that are, are good for them. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting few months and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out at the other end because I think you've hit the nail on the head with that. It's, uh, it's going to change the way we think about things and, and we will probably do that in education. Yeah. <laughs> long, long overdue. <laughs> long overdue and hopefully it's just sped up. And there's been people working for these changes for so long. Um, I've been at meetings um in the houses of parliament where we've been trying to promote that over the last few years and there's lots of correct nods and, and oh yes that's a good idea but as we know anything like this takes so so long but actually when something like this happens things have to be done differently and i just really really hope that the people in power see that yes actually this is a positive let's run with it let's let's use this to change things um, and and I, I genuinely think it will change things for loads of people, even if it's more of a local level and individualised teachers themselves can see, actually, there's a different way I can do things. And then if it can be done on a more of a national way as well, that would be amazing. Mm. Absolutely. All right, well, thank you ever so much for your time today. It's been really, really enlightening, I think. Uh, lots of ideas for parents to take away there. So. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you. Brilliant. Thank you very much for inviting me.